Uh, it's such a joy to be with you and, and be back here. It's always a joy to be a cornerstone and uh, love coming and, and being with you and seeing here. There's such a, there's such a hunger for the Lord in uh, Singapore, man. And I tell you what, if you, if you haven't had a chance to go on and to uh, take a look at, at the, the conference that we just did and, and that Andrew has a vision for and, and what, what just happened with all the young people, man, it was, it was really powerful and just some really anointed speakers and, and, and uh, ministering that happened there and just... Uh, uh, after preaching last night, I, I stepped back into the little lounge area and was just watching uh, Andrew. Just, it, I just like, man, this guy is so anointed for this, and it was just, it was powerful. It was powerful, and so bless you for getting behind that and making that happen and uh, supporting that. And I want to also thank uh, Cornerstone. There were several of you that uh, during last year crisis uh, that happened in Afghanistan. For those of you who don't know, for those of you who follow us on social media and in our newsletters and things like that, uh, we were able to, my ministry was able to rescue over 500 Afghans. Uh, we were able to get them out and get them to safety. Uh, most of these people were on uh, hit lists uh, that were, uh, you know, there in the country that they were trying to uh, expunge the believers that were there and, and, and kill them. And so we were able to get them out, get them to safety. And uh, many of them refused to leave and stayed, and they said, uh, you know, we're going to turn all of these people that are coming after us into disciples and followers of Jesus Christ and, and see them transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so it was, uh, it was great. There's so many stories uh, just over the years of working in Afghanistan. I've been working in Afghanistan for over 18 years, training and equipping, going there, making multiple trips, uh, going out, taking them out on the streets and the marketplace and, you know, demonstrating to them. I mean, you can't tell people trust God if you're not willing to go there and trust yourself, you know? And so uh, doing that and demonstrating the power, and we've see, just seen so many people transformed. If, if, for those of you who don't know, last year uh, I was arrested and, and jailed for several days. They were threatening to kill me the whole time. They tortured me and, and went through all kinds of things, but God came through. I'm telling you, stay faithful to the Lord. And for, for those of us who have a relationship with Christ, you know, if they kill us, man, that's just a nonstop flight to paradise. You know, how's that bad? You know what I'm saying? I mean, that's not, that's an upgrade. I'll take that. Uh, not trying to do that, but uh, certainly is not, uh, you know, a negative in any way. And so anyway, but the Lord just used that and God just did incredible things. And so amazing things are happening. We got a little short video uh, just to kind of show you what we're doing and the ongoing mission because we didn't just get 500 out, but housing them, feeding them, helping them transition into the surrounding nations that they went to. And here's the best part. They haven't stopped. They are still sharing the love and joy and hope and peace that Jesus brings and seeing many come into that love and joy and hope and peace. And so here's a little video to kind of show you just a snapshot of that. Imagine you're in your home in Afghanistan when all of a sudden you find out that the Taliban has come in and completely taken over the nation. Within a few hours, they're on your doorstep, throwing you out of your home, sending all of your family out into the street with nothing but the clothes on your back. 
Imagine trying to find treacherous terrain to cross over on paths that would lead you to a free nation, or at least that would give you some sense of freedom. And having to cross that with young, small babies in tow, and not knowing where you were going, and not knowing where you're going to end up. This is what happened to our brothers and sisters in the underground church in Afghanistan, the second fastest growing church in the world. This was Satan's plot to completely undermine what God was doing with the church of Jesus Christ in Afghanistan, but it cannot be stopped. Getting them out of the country was only the beginning. This is our opportunity to raise them up, equip them, and to send them back to retake the land that Satan stole from them, where I can promise you this, they will not stop sharing the gospel. They've known too much to lay it down. It's now our opportunity to rise up and to support them, stand with them, to rally behind and to be the hands and feet of Jesus on their behalf. I wanna encourage you, join us in this endeavor. Amen. And we have a QR code. If you want to get those newsletters and see updates of what we're doing from here, we've been, uh, if, you, if you take your phones and hit that QR code, it'll take you to where you can sign up for the newsletter and see the updates. We just were in Kuwait before coming here. We were doing a training with underground church leaders uh, throughout the Arabic-speaking world. We did a school, a three-week school in Jordan this past year where we had two former members or had former members of Al-Qaeda and ISIS that were trained as bombers to go blow themselves up. Now, passionate evangelists of Jesus Christ that we were training and equipping and sending them out into the streets and watching them share the amazing good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so uh, we also did a three-week school in Egypt where we were doing the same there. And just on and on and on it goes. Next year, we're planning on Lebanon again in Egypt and also uh, back in Kuwait and back in, uh, into Jordan again. So be in prayer for us from here. We leave fly out to Today, heading to the Ukraine, uh, going to the Ukraine-Russian border where the fighting is, and putting on a conference there, training and equipping uh, the church in power evangelism. The Ukraine is open to the gospel right now. And, believe, and understand, too, the Russian troops are as well. I love Russia. Russia was the first place I was ever arrested and thrown in jail for the gospel. So I have a fond place in my heart for them. I really do. I've been back many times and, and love them very, very dearly. And so uh, I've been arrested and in jail three times in Afghanistan. So Afghanistan's a little closer to my heart because of that. But so be praying for us if you would. It's going to be an amazing season and time of what God is doing. And let me tell you something. This next year... It's a next-level experience. How many of you know that's the reason why the enemy wants to shut down the church? You're the biggest threat to his kingdom. And by the way, I said this at, the, at, at, at FOPX, that, you know, there's really only one kingdom, because in order to have a kingdom, you have to have a king. We're the only ones with the king. At best, they only have a principality because they only have a prince. But we have the kingdom because we have the king. And so it's expanding. And the kingdom of God is the unstoppable force on the planet. It cannot be stopped. With each wave of persecution, it only spreads faster and goes wider because it is the unstoppable force. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 2. This is one of my uh, verses that I love to take a look at, love to explore, because I believe this is a place where Jesus is taking a risk and demonstrating taking a risk. 
and stepping out uh, in, in, in a, I believe, his first step in doing that. Now, how many of you know, you know, in Philippians chapter 2, it basically says in verse 6, 7, uh, that Jesus, when he came, he's, he, he did not operate, he did not come in his divine power. He left those superhero God powers in heaven, basically, and he left those privileges in heaven, and he came and he humbled himself and basically became a slave in many ways uh, by, by becoming a human being and, uh, and, and coming as we are to lead us into who he had always made us to be. And so he came and he put aside those powers. So when Jesus came, he was operating not in his powers as God to do all the miracles, but whose power was he operating in? Holy Spirit. He was operating in Holy Spirit's power. The same Holy Spirit that you have. How many of you have the Holy Spirit in you? How many of you have Jesus in you? You have all the ingredients living in you to do the same miracles Jesus did. You're not lacking anything. What are we missing? Activation. Activation is key in order to see it released. You're not needing God to tell you to do more. He's already said, go into all the world. Matter of fact, people are always telling me, you know, before you went to Afghanistan and all the trips you've made to Iran and to Pakistan and all of these dangerous countries and, you know, uh, these communist countries, Cuba, we did a youth conference, two youth conferences in Cuba this year. I said, before you, uh, before you go there, you better have a clear word from God. You better have a clear word from God. And I am always like, actually, we have five clear words from God. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and the book of Acts. If you need a clear word from God than that, you don't understand the power of the word of God. I don't need God to tell me to go to a dangerous country. He said, go into all the world. I don't need anything more than that. I just need to obey what he said and to see the power come as a result. God will back you up if you'll just go. I don't want to be the kid that he's having to prod in my head. You know, I can't stand it when I have to tell my children to take out the trash. I like it when they do it just because they see the need and they want to do it, Pastor Kevin. And they just go out and do it because it needs to be done. Well, I want to be that kid to the father. I want to be the one who's like, you're not telling me. I'm already doing it before you ask. I just want to bless you with you know, extravagant obedience before you even ask it that it's being done. And so I don't think we have to have... You know, all, why don't we say you have to have a word of God to cross the street and tell somebody Jesus loves them? You know, we don't do that. So why don't we have the same faith to believe that it can be in the most dangerous countries in the world? I mean, come on. How much of this faith thing do we really believe? And we know faith is risk. Getting back to that and that everyday occurrence, you know, it, it, we see this with Jesus attending a wedding. And so this is something that, you know, it's not maybe an everyday occurrence, but you, how many of you go to a wedding once, twice a year, something like that? I said, you know, except unless, unless you're a cornerstone pastor and you're probably performing 15 or 20 weddings a year. By the way, if you're, if you're doing that, make sure and take that marriage class. Those are important to do. Don't skip those if you want to have a good one, you know. But all of a sudden, we, we get into this place of, of sitting there, you know, uh, you know uh, thinking in preparation of all this that, that uh, we have to have some sort of directive. Well, Jesus doesn't have any directive in what he does here. He's just attending a wedding. Something that's just normal. He's kicking back with his disciples. He's just hanging out with, with his family who's there as well. And so he's just there in this normal setting. And, and it's not ministry. He didn't perform the wedding. He didn't preach at the wedding. He's just there hanging out with friends and family. 
something we do at, as a regular basis. But this is a unique situation because we see this as the first recorded miracle of Jesus. But let's take a look at the scripture. In verse 1, it says, the next day, verse 1, chapter 2, John chapter 2, the next day there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were there. They were also invited to the celebration. Verse 3, the wine supply ran out during the festivities. So Jesus' mother told him, they have no more wine. Now, let me explain. Every person in this story, I believe, plays a part. Mary is playing the part of an intercessor. And an intercessor, what, it, what an intercessor does is they see a need, and they know a person who can meet the need, and they bring the two together. The need and the person that can meet the need. That's what an intercessor does. And so intercessors are taking the needs of others, you know, to, to the one that can meet the need. That's the reason why I was asking you to pray for us as we go to Ukraine. We, you know, be an intercessor for us. You know God meets all of our needs, and so take that to him for uh, him to come and meet. That's a form of intercession. Well, Mary is seeing this. The wine supply run out. They have a need. Now, she comes to Jesus, and what is her objective of coming to Jesus? You know, is it, it doesn't say she's coming asking for a miracle, but she realizes within Jesus is the solution to the need. That's important. And so she steps up to Jesus. Now, maybe she's approaching Jesus because Joseph by this time would have died. Joseph was Jesus' natural father, earthly father. He would have passed away. And of course, as probably the same with family systems here as it is in the Middle East, the oldest son, whenever the father passes, he assumes the financial responsibilities of the family. So Jesus is being approached by Mary. Possibly, maybe she's thinking, the scripture doesn't say, to stop and to say, hey, can we kick in a few bucks, help them buy a few bottles of wine to complete the celebration? We don't know if that was her motive. Maybe it wasn't that. Maybe Mary was anticipating a miracle. The scripture doesn't say what her approach was in this. Yet she's approaching, but we know that this is Jesus's first miracle, so we don't know that there was any other public miracles that Jesus had performed that would register with Mary. Now, maybe she walks in when he's five years old to give him a bath, and all of a sudden, Jesus is walking on top of the bathwater. You know, maybe that happened, and she's like, oh, he can do that. He could or maybe he, she brought him a glass of milk for breakfast, and he's like, no, I want chocolate milk. So he sticks his finger in it, stirs it, and it becomes chocolate milk. We don't know. Or maybe he was parting his milk. I don't, I don't know. Something had happened somehow that indicated that Jesus somehow could meet this need. And so she brings it to Jesus and says, hey, They've run out of wine. Now, Jesus' answer to Mary is an answer I never answered my mother with my entire life. He says, dear woman. I never looked at my mother and said, dear woman, ever. Now, the next phrase that he says to his mother, I said to my mother often, that's not my problem. You know, and so Jesus is looking at her and saying, hey, that's not our problem. Now, would you agree with me that Jesus is giving a no answer? He's saying no. And he says, he goes on to explain. Now, if you've come from a cessationist background or you're even a cessationist now, you would see something in this that may indicate a cessation. A cessation meaning that there was a time for miracles to start and a time to stop. 
Now, we, from our belief, know that there was no time to stop. Those miracles still happen today. We see them all the time. We see them all over the place. They happen in this church many, many times on a weekly basis, probably daily basis. So we know that has not stopped. But if you were from that perspective, Jesus is demonstrating here himself by violating the cessation, if there was one, that he's Lord over it. And it doesn't matter. And that still operates with us in our lives today. But he looks at her and says, my time has not yet come. So again, he's saying no. Would you agree? It's a no answer. Now, Mary, of course, getting a no answer from her son does what most mothers would do and ignores him. You know, she turns to the servants, but what she does is really powerful because it says, Mary told, uh, but, but his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you to do. Now notice this, she ignores his no answer and says, do whatever he tells you to do. What is she, what is she expecting? We don't know, but she is expecting something. And expectancy is important. Not only is she expecting something, by having these servants turn to Jesus and look at Jesus, she's pulling on their expectancy for them to look at him with expectancy. And as the great revivalist Smith Wigglesworth from England said, the atmosphere of expectancy is the birthplace of the miraculous. Expectancy brings miraculous activity. It brings signs and wonders. Expectancy is key. Whenever we approach somebody to pray for them for healing, we never come from the perspective of it may not happen. We always come from the perspective of it will happen because that's expectancy. And that's how expectancy works. Now, when it doesn't happen, you don't have a right to be discouraged. You don't have a right to get disappointed. Go, I'm never praying for anybody again because I prayed and they weren't healed. Because if I do that, who am I saying the glory's for? If I serve the results, I'm saying the glory's for me. But if I do it out of obedience because Jesus said, heal the sick. Because Jesus said, raise the dead. Because Jesus said, just do it. Then the glory's for him. And I put my desires aside and I'm serving his instead. And so the results are not for you. They're not for me. They are for him as the king. So all of a sudden, Mary says, do whatever he says, and so she's pulling on their expectancy. We see this same thing happen later with Peter and John in Acts chapter 3 when they are going into the gate beautiful on their way to the temple for afternoon prayers, and they see a, a lame man begging for money, and they stop and they see him, and he's asking for money, and they say, look at us. And the scripture says he turns and looks at them expecting to receive some money. Even though his expectancy is a particular way, still that expectancy is useful to God for the miracle to occur. Despite whatever the expectancy is, it invites miraculous activity. And they said, look at us pulling on their ex this man's expectancy. And that's the same thing Mary is doing. I even saw this in a personal way and, and my, with my family. You know, uh, We were one time at, at the Vatican in Rome. And I was speaking at a, a conference up in uh, Bern, Switzerland, and we decided to fly into Rome and spend a few days there. You know, my kids grew up in the hood, you know, their whole lives. And, you know, to go to a Europe-type, you know, vacation for a 
few days was, was something really, really special. And so we come out of the St. Peter's Basilica and they look out in the courtyard and they see this 15-year-old boy in a wheelchair and my, one son's like, hey, look, kid in a wheelchair. And he goes running after him. Well, the boys are like, kid in a wheelchair. They all go running after him. And so they're running after him and then my son approaches him and says, hey, are you paralyzed? And I'm like, oh. You know, come on, start with, hi, my name is. What's your name? I noticed you're in a wheelchair. But my kids grew up in the hood. So they're like, are you paralyzed? You know, and the kid's like, how did you know? Yes, I am paralyzed actually, you know. And he's like, how long have you been paralyzed? He said, for 13 years. He said, I was dropped when I was two years old and it damaged my spine. And he says, I've never been able to walk again. And so my son looks and he says, if you let me pray for you to be healed, Jesus will completely heal you and you'll get up out of that wheelchair right now and you'll walk. And the boy's like, okay. And he says, he says can I pray for you? And he's like, I'm not going anywhere. Sure, go ahead. And so my son looks around, and there's hundreds of people around. This is in St. Peter's Square. And he looks, and he says, hey, anybody want to see a miracle? Come here. I'm about to pray for this kid, and he's going to get out of this wheelchair right now. Well, about 20 or 30 people are like, what? And they started gathering around. What was my son doing, and why was he doing it? My son was afraid that the boy would not get healed. So he knew he had to increase the risk. He had to increase the risk atmosphere, and faith is risk. He had to turn up the risk, and he was also pulling on the expectancy of others because he was afraid the boy wouldn't get healed. Now, many times we do it the wrong way. We're like, I want to pray for you. Let's go behind this rock, this wall, this tree. Let me pray for you quietly. Now, what did I just do with expectancy? Turned it all off. Go the other way. Increase it. Pull on other people's expectancy in it. And the end of that story is, now he prayed for him about eight times, but the boy got out of the wheelchair. The boy walked for the first time. We have pictures of it and videos of it. He was completely healed, you know? Why? Because he was pulling on the expectancy of others because he was afraid it wasn't going to happen. So he knew he had to increase the atmosphere of risk. Jesus is taking a risk in this passage, I believe. And Mary is pulling on the expectancy of others to see it happen. So it says, standing nearby, Jesus told the servants, do whatever he tells you. Stand, now, Jesus could have said, hey, take five. You know, you guys have been working hard. You've been serving here hard. Get, take a five-minute break. He could have told him anything. But he seizes the moment, and he's, he's being pulled by the intercessor's expectancy. And he responds, and it says, Standing nearby were six stone water jars, water pots, that were about 20 to 30 gallons, that would hold 20 to 30 gallons each that are sitting there that were there for the Jewish ceremonial washing. So what this would look like is when you would walk into a home or you'd walk into a certain celebration, there would be these six stone water jars. Now, everything's dirty there. There is no pavement. There's no asphalt, no concrete. And so you're walking in dirt. The bottom of your clothes are dirty. Your feet are dirty. You know, your shoes are dirty. Everything's dirty. 
And so they would come in and they would start with the first stone water jar and they would wash off in there. And then they would go to the second and then the third and the fourth and the fifth. Now the first one, after everybody would come through, it would be like mud. It would be nasty, dirty, stinky foot water. But you get to the last one, to the sixth one, it would be less dirty, but still dirty, but just not as dirty. Now notice here, Jesus didn't say, hey, go wash out those stone water jars, because you know what? They were heavy. That would have been too hard to do. What does he say? He says, fill them up. In other words, top them off. So they're coming. Now, this would have taken some time. They would have to take trips to the well. They didn't have a spigot inside their house. They didn't have a faucet. They would have had multiple trips to the well, go and get buckets of water, pour it in, pouring it in this mud, which stirs up all the mud, hello, and makes it even dirtier. And so there's this muddy, dirty water and tops it off. And then Jesus, now Jesus, does Jesus ever get up? The scripture doesn't say. And how they would be at these celebrations when they would sit to eat. They weren't sitting in chairs. They would recline. They would lay down. Jesus isn't even getting up from the laying down position. I love that. You know, he's just sitting there and he's just speaking and saying things. And so he says, dip some out and take it to the master of the ceremonies. Has the water become wine? No. The scripture doesn't say that it's become wine. Wine isn't even mentioned. Now notice this. Jesus isn't explaining to them what's going to happen. We're not even sure Jesus knew all the way. He was taking a step of faith as a human being empowered by the Holy Spirit. He was taking a risk. That's my theory. I can't prove it. You can't disprove it. I got the mic. I can say what I think. You got to figure out if I'm right or not. But all of a sudden, they dip some out. Now, I think these servants were like, I ain't taking that dirty, nasty foot water to the master of the ceremonies. That's our boss. He's going to beat us or fire us or that's not going to go well. I think they're like, hey, go get the 14-year-old servant. Make him do it, you know? So they send the teenager probably over there, and he's going probably with his hands shaking with this ladle going, this is not my idea. I promise you, this is not, I didn't want to do this. It's those Nazarenes. You know how those guys are. You know, I I, I don't know. You know, that that, that guy's a carpenter who now says he's a rabbi. I'm not, who, he's probably crazy. You know, he could have said or thought anything. But he's following through. And let me tell you something. Notice many times in these miracles, Jesus never says what's going to happen if they follow through. They are blindly obeying. And notice in the request of Mary, she doesn't say, hey, Jesus, can we give some money or can we do it this way? How many of you know most of our prayers are, God, can you solve my problem like this? God, will you fix things this? Lord, if you'll just help me win the lottery, everything will be good. If you'll just let that new business deal go through, everything will be better. You know, if you'll just let me get the, you know, you have to have those car permission papers here. If you just let me get the car permission paper, You know, this will be so much better. I'll serve you so much better. We're always telling God how he needs to meet the need. Mary doesn't do that. She just says, there's a need. And I know you're the answer. And in following his solution, because let me tell you something. We we sometimes don't do that because we think God needs our help. And we need to tell him how to solve our problem. How many of you know God's smarter than you are? You're approaching the most intelligent being that has ever existed. 
You know, we stop and are like, you know, I don't know. Why is sex outside of marriage sin? You know, why does it have to be between a man and a woman? Why don't, I don't agree with that. And I don't, well, guess what? God's smarter. And I obey him because he's smarter than I am. And I want to follow what a smarter person thinks than what I think. So I obey the word of God. He's just smarter. And if you have any of that thinking, attend that marriage class. That'll probably help out a lot. Anyway, that was my pastoral side coming out right there. So all of a sudden, I'm taking too long talking about that. So all of a sudden, he takes over this water and listen to what happens. It says, when the master of the ceremony tasted the water that was now wine. I imagine as it's approaching the lips of the master of the ceremony is when it happens, or even better yet, I think the miracle happened in the hands of the servants. In the hand of the servants. Listen to what it says. When the master of the ceremony tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though of course the servants knew. I love that. Because Jesus is doing the miracle in the hands of the least at the party. He's doing the miracle with those who are the least. They are the eyewitnesses to the miracle, the most marginalized, the most insignificant. Isn't that like our God? He doesn't pick the best, the finest. He does it with the least. He does it with the least. When he tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, although the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over and says, a host always serves the best wine first. He said, then when everybody's had enough and doesn't know any better, had had a lot to drink, then he brings out the less expensive wine. But you have kept the best till now. My friends, Jesus wants to perform the miracle in your hands. He wants to perform the miracle with your prayers, with your obedience. And we could stop and say, but explain to me how this works. Let me tell you something I learned with God a long time ago. He doesn't seem to need to owe me an explanation, but I owe him blind obedience because he's God. He's God. And when he tastes the water that was now wine, now let me tell you something. You know what's beautiful about this? As he says, you have saved the finest, the best wine till now. Jesus doesn't just turn water into wine. Jesus turns the nastiest, smelliest, muddy foot water into the finest wine. Isn't that our testimony? Isn't that what he's done in yours and my life? He takes the worst and transforms it into the best. He takes the most marginalized and he lets them be the eyewitnesses to one of the greatest miracles, to the first miracle. They were the ones testifying of this miracle, of this. You know, I had had a prophetic word one time and had actually several that I would pray and see the dead raised. And I was like, okay, now I'm going to pray for the dead. I even became a police chaplain. 
so that I can have proximity to dead people. There you go. Because I was going to believe the word of the Lord. And so I decided I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to become a police chaplain because we would go on death notifications. And once people die, they would call us and we would sit there and minister to family. And I'd say, may I have a moment alone with the deceased? And I would pray for the resurrection. Well, I had prayed for 23 dead people to be raised from the dead. Let me point out, all those 23 people are still dead. Not one of them ever got raised from the dead. But I did it because I was believing the word of the Lord. It's not my job to figure out when and where. Just if I can get dead people, I'm going to raise them. Boom, I'm going for it. People are always like, well, did God tell you to do that? Did you get a direct word from the Lord to do that? Jesus said, heal the sick and raise the dead. That's all I need. And so I was sitting, I prayed for 23 people to raise from the dead. I was speaking in a meeting in England. I had just spoken a couple of weeks before at this uh, large event uh, called New Wine. Uh, and there was, you know, 7,000 people that would be in attendance. And this little pastor, this little uh, uh, congregational church was there. And he saw a bunch of people that I was training get healed. And he invited me to this little congregational church in Inglewood, England. And so I went there, and he says, we've never seen a miracle ever. There's no recorded healing in our village ever in all of history. And I was like, well, we got to change that. So I went there and, 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 and got up to speak. And as I got up to preach, all of a sudden, this mom on like the fifth row jumps up. We have a picture of the service and of the people of where this happened. Jumps up from the fifth row and starts screaming, my son, my son, my son. Now, the son she's talking about is this guy right here. He's got the gray shirt and a black collar. And the woman, the head right below his chin, that was his mother. Now, right behind him, on the back of the picture, is a doctor. This happened right before, this picture was taken right before this happened. I took the picture, and I actually took it by accident. I was trying to take a picture of the balcony because it was full, and I was like, that's the scariest looking balcony I've ever seen. I was just out of craziness taking, and I accidentally took this picture, but it was really providential. All these people have a part to play in this story. Even the white hair that you see down there, you're about to see her in a minute. You're about to hear from her in a minute. So all of a sudden, the mom's screaming, my son, my son. And this guy's like this, and he's like turning purple. And he's, he's like, he was really red. He's like this. His eyes were bugged and his hands were clenched like this. And he looked stiff as a board. And all of a sudden, I saw this dark cloud over him. And I stepped off the stage. And this room was full of about 200 people. And I stepped off the stage, put my, put my hand on the chest. And I started binding the spirit. Because I saw the cloud, I knew it was a demonic attack. And, I, and it was just in my uh, seeing in spirit eyes. And I put my hand on his chest. I started binding the spirit of infirmity, commanding it to break and commanding the symptoms to leave. And as I'm doing that, with each prayer, it's getting worse. The doctor's checking his pulse, and he goes, this man is dying right now. His lips start turning blue, and then they turn blue-black. He's not getting any air. And then he starts going into the death rattle, which are your last breaths right before you die. And then all of a sudden, he stopped breathing. And the doctor said, he's dead. Now, let me let an eyewitness pick up the story from there. Go ahead and show the video, and then I'll come back and finish a couple of thoughts, and then we'll go into some ministry. But this is a woman, the woman with the white hair that you saw there. Go ahead and play the video. Come on over, Pat. So you saw something incredible happen last year. Would you share with the good folk here what you saw? Hi. Morning, church. It's really exciting to be here this morning. Um, 
Over a year ago now, um, Robbie came to um, a little village church in Inglewhite in Lancashire, um, where I have the privilege of being in leadership. On the first night of, this, uh, uh, of the service that he took, we had an awesome worship time, a bit like this morning, it was great. Um, just after the worship finished, there was a man on my right-hand side who started screaming out, um, and his mother said, he's dying, he's dying, please come and help, please come and help. Now there was a doctor nearby and a nurse nearby. Robbie came off the stage and began to minister. I watched this man slowly dying. He turned blue all over and he stopped breathing. I heard the doctor say, he's gone, at which point his mother was screaming, he's dead, he's dead, it's too late. But Robbie spoke life into him. You could hear in the heavenlies, because we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities and rulers of wickedness in high places. Robbie took authority and began to pray life into this dead body. And I saw with my own eyes, this man that was dead on the floor suddenly begin to rise up. Glory to God. <laughs> um, and, they, they then carried him back to the back of the church. But I knew that night that a war had been won in the heavenlies and a power broken. And I just want to say as encouragement to you today, you know, God came to heal the sick, to raise the dead and to set captives free. I'm 68 year old and I am just beginning as from a Christian of nine year old, seeing these things in reality happen. But as John Wimber said, there's more. And faith, spelled R-I-S-K. So I encourage you all just to step out wherever you're going in faith and see God glorified even more. Now, praise the Lord. Now, as this guy is laying dead on the floor, you know, and the doctor, like, pushed me aside, and he goes, you, you've got to step back, and I'm, and again, he's, he's blue, his eyes had fully dilated, which means he's brain dead, his, his uh, eyes had lost uh, focus, they had gone uh, to the side, and as I was standing there watching this scene, all of a sudden, I started seeing these pictures in my mind's eye, and it was 23 pictures of the 23 people that I had prayed for previously who were not raised from the dead when I prayed. And I began to hear something in my ear. I began to hear, you don't have enough. You didn't then, you don't now, and you never will. And then it hit me. I'm like, you're scared. I'm like, no, you're, you're not just scared, you're, you're terrified. Not me, Satan. You're terrified over what's about to happen. And you're projecting fear onto me, which is your fear. And your fear is manifesting as a fiery dart in my feelings to try to keep me away from a powerful miracle that's about to happen. And with that, I shouted and I said, no. 
And the doctor turned and looked at me. It had been about three and a half minutes that had passed by this time. And he's like, what? And I said, no. I said, back away. And I pushed him back. He had not even touched the man yet. He was taking off his tie, taking off his coat, all this other stuff. And he, and he leaned down and I put my hand and I said, by the authority of Christ, you will rise. Now, let me tell you something. The spirit of fear manifests, demons manifest whatever they are. If you're being bombarded with lustful thoughts, that's not you as a lustful person. That's a spirit of lust manifesting and projecting those thoughts and pictures into you. Those are called fiery darts of the enemy. It's not you. Those are lies. And fear is a liar. You've been made more than a conqueror through Christ. You are not fearful. And so all of a sudden, I start seeing these pictures and seeing these things. And I said, no, you will rise. By the authority of Christ that commands you to rise. I commit nothing. Nothing. He's dead. And I'm like, no, in the name of Jesus, I command life to fill this body. And then all of a sudden he goes, <gasps> and I was like, <gasps> man, it scared me to death. I would like to say I knew it was going to happen, but I was like, <gasps> chills all over. And the guy rolls over on his stomach, starts getting up. The doctor runs over and is checking his pulse. And I'm like, the guy's getting up. I think he's alive. <laughs> Pretty sure he's not a zombie right now. And he stands up and he looks and he looks at everybody and he goes, what are you looking at? The mother starts screaming and is like, he can talk, he can talk. And I said, what do you mean he can talk? And she goes, he had a stroke a year ago with left him the inability to speak. He could only say yes and no. And his speech was fully restored. And so I told him, I said, I said, are you good? And he goes, I've never felt better in my life. And I said, well, I want you to go back to the church. There's an ambulance on the way. Let him take you to the hospital. Let him check you out and make sure you're good. We got a picture of me with him later in the hospital. And totally, totally healed, totally restored. They did a brain scan. All the symptoms of the stroke had disappeared. There was no damage left to the brain at all. Now, by the grace of God... That's the first resurrection that I was able to participate with. But if I'd been scared off by those 23 others and been discouraged with that and let that lead and gone, well, I did my part, but God didn't do his, I wouldn't have seen that breakthrough. There's some of you here that you've been contending for a breakthrough. Maybe it's in your own health. Maybe it's a family member that's gone astray. Or maybe it's some things in, in work or some things in life that are really weighing in on you. And you've been discouraged. You've been frustrated. You've been, maybe you've been contending for a long time. But if that's you and you've like, man, I've fought and I've kind of just surrendered in this. But you're hearing hope right now. I want you to stand to your feet right now. I want to pray for you. I want to pray that there be hope revived in you. I want to encourage you. Don't trust don't trust what your eyes see. Trust what the word of God says. God is faithful. And that opposition that is coming against you, I believe God will manipulate the enemy to even let us have that opposition to create perseverance in order to see breakthrough come. But don't give up. If our ministry team could come up here because we want to do some prayer at the end. But Father, I pray right now just for each discouraged heart, each frustrated heart, each, each person who has just been 
weary in the well-doing and weary in the pursuit, but is now at a place of going, I hear hope again. Father, would you just flood them with that hope, flood them with that encouragement. We declare breakthrough. Just so you know, I've had a, you know, for 30 years, I've had a bad thyroid. I've prayed and seen five people get brand new thyroids and mine's still bad. But I'm still contending for a thyroid because I know my God can do it. And I'm going to fight for it. And I celebrate with each one of those new thyroids those people got. You know what I call that? Revenge. Revenge against the enemy. My friends, the Lord's here to encourage you. And for some of you, maybe who have been contending for that help, I want to say to you right now in Jesus' name, be filled with hope again. Be filled by the authority of Christ with fresh hope. Some of you may be contended for a loved one who passed and it's discouraging to you. Look for the next person who needs resurrection and go for it. Don't back off. And for those of you who have had that, where you've been fighting for something, again, maybe it's contending for a family member to come to Christ. Maybe it's contending. Maybe you've been struggling with even a, an issue of same-sex attraction or something. And it's been a hard fight. You fought hard and you're, you're like, I want to break free. Today is the day of liberty and freedom for you. God has made you to be free. Or maybe it's a struggle in another area. That freedom is here, my friends, for you today. Jesus is not withholding from you. And if you've just had any struggle with that, or again, maybe a health issue, I want to encourage you to come down here. Let us pray for you. I want to pray for you right now for that. And just as I begin to pray, just a general prayer for all of us, just come forward. If you're like, I need to contend for this again. I gave up on it, but now I need to contend again. I need that breakthrough in my health. I need that breakthrough in my family member. I need that breakthrough in my life. Just step out where you are. Just come down. Father, I thank you for everyone here. And I thank you for the breakthrough that is imminent for each and every one of us. And no matter what the enemy throws at us with opposition, we will not stop, we will not bend, we will not bow, and we will not break. Because we know you are the God of the breakthrough. You are the God of the breakthrough. And by the authority of Christ, I pray that discouragement be broken off of you and to be released from that and for a fresh expectancy to arise in you again and fresh hope to rise in you again. In the mighty name of Jesus. Again, if you need prayer for that, feel free. Come and join us down here. We want to pray for you. You've just listened to a production of Cornerstone Community Church. Please note that all unauthorized reproduction, distribution, or sale of the recording is prohibited. For permission to reproduce or distribute the sermon, please write into mail at cscc.org.sg. We hope that you have been blessed.